The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy trends, innovations, and debates. Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today on Off the Shelf, we have an integrated team of Booz Allen subject matter experts focusing on immersive training uh, and supporting the Department of Defense. Uh, with me here today are Frank Wakeham. He is a former Navy Surface Warfare Officer and a principal at Booz Allen Hamilton. Kevin McLung, he is a former director of the Army's National Simulation Center and is currently a principal of Booz Allen Hamilton focusing on immersive training. And Daryl Wise, Daryl is a Army veteran and he is currently the creative director for Booz Allen's Triangle Game Development Team out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thank, Thank you. So today we are going to talk about immersive training, what it is, and just generally the training challenges that the Department of Defense is uh, facing and, and the opportunities based on the you know, you know, rapidly changing technologies. Um, so to just set the, you know, I think to set the stage of this segment, let's talk about the current state of defense training and, and a little bit about live virtual uh, constructive challenges that are out there. So first, I'll ask Kevin, where is training at the Department of Defense? How are things going? Well, training across the Department of Defense goes across a number of modalities you know, from the most basic classroom instruction, typical instructor up on a platform, PowerPoint driven, uh, all the way up to full scale live exercises with live weapons employed. Uh, in between though, there's a wide range of capabilities that we deploy out there to support training. So we have live, which again is, you know, real people out there with their real equipment in the field, on the seas, in the air, that's sort of like live fire exercises. Live fire exercises yeah. would okay. be a great example. Yeah. Uh, virtual. So with virtual, you think of a flight simulator. So the pilot uh, or a crew within a tank uh, is operating a system that looks and feels exactly the same as the real thing in an immersive environment, in a virtual environment. Uh, and then constructive, which we use for large scale command post exercises where you're talking about training large forces, generally at a fairly high level in the army, at battalion and higher, where you're employing lots of different weapon systems that perhaps you couldn't employ live because the facilities, the equipment is not available. And usually focused on the commanders and their staffs to allow them to train, to operate with all forces deployed which they won't necessarily have until they're actually in a deployed theater of operation. Right, so that's the, I guess, sort of the, the menu of training or the different types of training that, and they try to figure out a strategy to integrate all those things. So just looking at um, a live training a little bit and just the challenges there's, you know, given, you know, you hear a lot at the, de you know, now about the department, like operational readiness and that training is a big, is a huge piece of that. Right. You know, when you talk about live training, you see technology potentially being able to handle a lot of that, but what are the you know some of the organizational? And I'll ask uh, Frank or Daryl, you know, to address like some of the challenges sure. with live training. That yeah, you see. absolutely. And as as Kevin 
uh, talked about, the range of training is wide, and there are certainly places where virtual, constructive, um, other non-live uh, training events are beneficial and in many cases can augment the live training. And then there are lots of cases where live training would conceivably be the best training, but uh, for various reasons may, may be infeasible. So when we look at uh, some of the challenges around live training, many of the training events, the ranges, the resources sit at remote locations. So there's a demand for both travel on the trainees, taking them away from home station, as well as the costs associated with that. Uh, the very availability of resources. So we've been on a war footing for a really long time and putting a lot of wear and tear on our equipment. And so having that same equipment, airplanes, tanks, ships, et cetera, available to actually utilize in training uh, drives up their life expenditure of those assets in a non-operational and non-combat environment. Uh, and some of them may just be unavailable. So when we look across the inventory, we see uh, lots of assets that um, are reserved for operations or for training troops that are near deployment status. And while those uh, who are farther away may not have access to this, those same assets. So certainly um, resource availability be becomes a challenge. And there's a cost component to that as well. When you look at larger uh, aggregated or collective training, then you're looking at large opposition forces, perhaps expenditures of fuel and ordnance. So the ability to shift where it makes sense from live training to synthetic training can save resources, dollars, wear and tear on equipment, uh, et cetera. And then you naturally you think of things like safety. So yeah, if you're I was going to ask at, you about that. Right. Absolutely. So if you look at some of the emergency procedure trainings, think of a, an aircraft in flight, you certainly wouldn't want a trainee pilot doing stalls or engine failures in, in flight. So there's a lot of... Uh, proficiency that can be built up outside of live training so that live training is a little bit uh, safer. And then um, weather and the environment can also be cause challenges in that live training environment, whether it be noise or other environmental concerns or weather can can create right. delays or even cancellations of training. So, yeah. And with, um, you know, you, you hear, again, I'm just like the headlines and stuff The you know, the secretary talking about more money, you know, for, the warfighter, you know, reducing uh, sort of those overhead costs that go, whether it's, you know, the systems that support the back office systems and then training, I guess people look at that, at least when I worked in government and I didn't work for the department, but, you know, training was the last thing that people thought about funding. I'm probably, I'm sorry, that's a different culture in the department it, for the <laughs> warfighter, obviously, but still that's, there's cost there. If they can save money to go to other areas of readiness, I could understand that. So with that sort of in mind, um, Daryl or, or Frank, you know, just the idea of what is the department looking at in terms of virtual or constructive training to augment the live training? So a lot of the times when it comes to augmenting live training, um, you're really trying to bring in assets that you can't bring to bear uh, in a live environment. So the complexity of live training is what they, you know, what they were talking about earlier, what Frank was talking about earlier. You know, if we're going to bring in aircraft, if we're going to bring in ships, we're going to bring in missile systems. These are things we can actually we do not have the capacity to do in a training environment. And a lot of it has to do with integration with local municipalities, you know, things of that nature, safety considerations for the actual participants in there. And augmented training through the use of immersive technologies allows us to bring in some of these more complex systems and, and assets to supplement training altogether to give them the uh, capacity to exercise some of those, uh, those tasks without actually having at a reduced risk to the, the soldiers and even the, uh, the uh, environment around them. 
So I, I'm this is where I need to, I'm, as a lay person, I just want to understand. So there's virtual, constructive, synthetic, and immersive. Can you just, Frank, just, sure. uh, just yeah, lay those out for, yeah, for I'd us? I'd be uh, happy to, and they're, and they're related, but not we got We got through live training and the challenges and you know the and things there and how how are these you know what what are these categories? sure so as kevin spoke to the virtual training uh and the constructive training uh while they're off, often used together and even with live so when we talk about live virtual constructive that continuum is also often uh, executed in combination sometimes with two components sometimes with all three uh when we talk about synthetic it generally is the grouping of uh, virtual and constructive. So there's a live virtual constructive continuum. Synthetic mm-hmm. training is the virtual constructive component of that. When we talk about immersive, particularly what we're talking about today and the today's technology and where it's going, it is really providing an artificial environment that is as close to realistic as possible for the okay. individual. So if you think of full motion flight simulators, that would be an immersive experience. We're talking about more of the portable head-mounted displays, yeah. which we'll talk about in more detail, I think, later right. yeah. in the show. But that's sort of the, the connectivity between those different terms. Okay, so, and Daryl, what are the challenges in synthetic training? What do you see? What do you guys see in there? So a lot of the challenges we face, obviously, is is equipment. Fielding equipment, you know, sometimes this equipment can be very sophisticated. It can be large. Uh, there's the... Uh, the actual application itself where we have to develop the uh, synthetic uh, training environment or these simulators, you know, it comes at great cost and there's a lot of, you know, math, so to speak, that's involved to create these uh, environments. And it's due to that complexity that is honestly some of the biggest uh, challenges that we face right now. So so I guess what's the sort of the cost benefit analysis that, you know, the department or a manager goes to when they're thinking about you know, whether the, to go synthetic, go, go live, do a combination, or um, just trying to assess, you know, is it worth investing in synthetic versus another right. approach? So in an ideal world, I think you would look at the proficiency and efficacy of those different types of training approaches and then use the one that uh, has that cost-benefit analysis. Uh, today, I think we're getting better and better at that, but there are places where we're forced to um, do one type of training versus another because of costs, availability, resources, right. maturity, the technology, et cetera. So the department is definitely driving towards an increased uh, amount of virtual and constructive as it gets closer and closer to uh, more realistic and the prices come down and the investments can be made because live has so many of those costs and yeah, challenges. Yeah. Live training has so many of those costs and challenges associated with them. But it's always a decision between not just the ROI, but the availability of resources. That right. generally is what's driving how they accomplish the training. Okay. Well, you know what, guys? We do have to take our first break. When we come back, I want to take a deeper dive into the current state of immersive training um, and what the department is looking at. My um, guests today are an integrated team of Booz Allen Hamilton subject matter experts, and we're focus on, focusing on immersive training, where the Department of Defense is going and what the opportunities are to, you know, improve operational readiness and save taxpayer money, uh, ultimately as well. Uh, You are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Today, my guests are from Booz Allen Hamilton. We have an integrated team of subject matter experts. We're focusing on immersive technologies in support of DOD's uh, training efforts, and um, 
With us for this segment, we have Amy Valdez. Amy is a principal with Booz Allen Hamilton uh, with over 15 years experience supporting various government agencies and currently focuses on the Army and Air Force. Mike Wickan, he is a, the creative director for Booz Allen Hamilton's Strategic Innovation Group. He's focusing on immersive technologies and Frank Wakeham. Frank is back for this segment, and mm-hmm. he is a former Navy surface warfare officer and, and as a principal at Booz Allen Hamilton. And guys, this I know we're going to spend a lot more time on what exactly immersive uh, training is in this segment, but before I wanted to go there, you know, uh, one of the things I didn't get to ask about in the last segment was uh, gaming as you know an element of the training that the department does. And so, Mike, I just want to give you give you a chance to talk a little bit about gaming and the role it plays, and then you can segue into Absolutely. immersive training. Very happy to. Um, we're in a really interesting watershed moment uh, technologically and from a, from a tool set. Um, the video game industry and the commercial gaming industry has kind of leapfrogged what is the norm as far as immersive technologies like virtual reality. Up until this point, um, most virtual trainers have either been the, the full rig simulators that you see with hydraulic shocks that move around or gigantic dome simulators uh, that you stand in the middle of and they project up yeah, on Yeah, I think screens. I've been in those things when I went to, uh, you know, Disney <laughs> yeah. World or whatever, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, World of Tomorrow <laughs> yeah, exactly. 30 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so what's happened is uh, the video game industry has built out a set of really robust tools um, that allow them to author content very rapidly. Uh, and very efficiently, and they've also developed a series of technologies springboarding off of smartphone uh, displays that allow us to create uh, immersive headsets, or HMDs, head-mounted displays, that are lightweight and really, really power-efficient, but very high resolution. So uh, using these HMDs, we can actually give an environment that is dramatically superior to anything that's gone before and at a, at a fraction of the cost. So, Amy, so, I'm sorry. Amy. Yeah, so I was going to say from a user perspective then, what that means is to get somebody immersed in an environment, when they put that headset on, we want them to forget about the physical environment that they're in and start thinking about and reacting to that virtual environment that they're in. And when you can get someone to start thinking like that, the power of the training is so much more effective because they are much more engaged in the environment. They're able to grasp the training material much more um strongly and much more quickly, and then they retain the information. So when they do get to a real-world environment, it's automatic. They reflect back to that time where they were sitting in that virtual environment, and they know exactly the processes and procedures to go through. Right. So it's basically what you're doing something rather than being lectured yeah. about that's, it. You remember. That's absolutely remember, correct. Right? Absolutely. Right. Autonomic reflexes. You remember it as if you did it in real life, which is a, a brand new concept as far as mm-hmm. training. So when you talk about gaming mm-hmm. and so where is the current state well, in the department? The current state's in transition. You know, I talk about it being kind of like the Wild West. Um, since these technologies are so new and in the commercial market, they really only hit uh, this last Christmas season, this last holiday season. Yes, um, I know that because my son, I guess, <laughs> yeah. I, guess I think he got his new Madden anyway. And, exactly. And it's, um, I go down there and he's got more data and information about drafting guys. and Sure. Well, and, so. and, it, and it's exciting. And uh, what's really funny about it is, uh, strangely enough, there are a lot more uses for this technology in the training space than there is in the commercial game space. They're still trying to figure out how to make interesting things with it in the, in the commercial uh, entertainment space. And so that'll be another year or two. But in the actual training space, this solves so many problems. You know, it's difficult to deploy uh, immersive training uh, to soldiers in the field at at the point of the spear. 
And it's difficult to buy enough of them because if your installation is a $30 million dome system versus uh, one of these HMDs and a PC to run it's $5,000 or so. So you can actually deploy to more troops more easily in the field and at, at the point of use. All these things are changing the entire way that we think about training at every level of the DOD and starting to branch into commercial space. Uh, and the other part about it is, of course, the um, in the past when you create content, you were usually in a, a stovepipe system as far as a software is concerned. You'd have an engine that was a custom-crafted engine made by a company. And so getting people to actually create the content was, was logistically a very difficult proposition. Nowadays, uh, there are very, very powerful commercial game engines, commercial off-the-shelf engines that you can actually use to create content straight to these HMD systems, and the military isn't kind of locked into this one solution. So, if you, yeah. So, if you think about the uh, portability that Mike mentioned, as well as the speed to development, the uh, ability to port the solutions to different head-mounted displays or phones with Google Cardboard, uh, the availability of these immersive solutions at the point of need uh, at a reasonable cost and reasonable speed to delivery is a significant change. And so you look at how quickly technology is advancing on the, on the battlefield. You look at experimental and rapid acquisition systems getting fielded very quickly without necessarily having the full training tail behind them. The ability to provide portable, quick-turn solutions to facilitate the training of those advanced systems is a significant, I think, advancement in uh, in readiness and something that hasn't been able to be done in the past because of either large simulators, cave simulators, or fixed simulators, or because you had to wait for the training um, equipment and processes to catch up to actually de the deployment of the equipment. So I, I do think, to Mike's point, we're on the cusp of something that's very significant for the department. Yeah, so let me ask, uh, I mean, to do a hypothetical with you then, uh, Frank, and just listening to that description, I started thinking about, so, you know, in Afghanistan, if people are using different technologies for our IADs or whatever, you know, would that be an area, theoretical, I'm just doing this, and yeah. I know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I wasn't. No, that you're exactly right, Roger. So, so people they could do come up with a program and train them on how to disarm them, or that, that's a, that's a great example actually, okay. and and it's some work that we've done. So if the technology that's going into the field to address counter IED challenges is advancing and changing very quickly, and it's getting deployed very quickly because it has to. Yeah. Uh, so the ability to then take that equipment and virtualize it, and then walk warfighters through how to operate that equipment before they deploy and get on station makes a big difference versus getting on station where that's the only place the equipment is and they have to figure it out while they're there doing all the other things that they're called to do. So that's a perfect example. Yeah. And, and I think the other piece to add to that in addition to the equipment is the environment that you're in. So you talked about Afghanistan, but when you think about a lot of the challenges the department is facing in terms of training around megacities, you know, how do you get a training element to go out and be able to engage and know the proper procedures to do that. With virtual reality, you can recreate some environments, whether they're actual environments or environments that are um, conducive to the specific training that you're trying to achieve. But creating these environments virtually gives you an, a whole new capability to be able to train in environments that are maybe too dangerous or that you're not able to access. Also, to Amy's point, 
the notion that you can train right up to the moment of deployment. If you know where you're going to be deployed, we can actually take the world data of wherever you're going to be deployed and allow the soldiers to actually walk the location and understand the physical landmarks and understand the dynamics of terrain in a way and at a speed that's never been able to be accomplished before. So it'll end up saving lives and all those things that we strive for as trainers. You know, you just talked about, you know, simulators and that sort of thing and how, and those are stationary, right? Right. They're in a particular place and point. And your point you're making right there is that be able to, to mobilize this. this exactly. Training, do it right at the field, you know, in the field in real time. Even at the point, if you're going to get deployed to a fire base, wouldn't it be great to be able to go and actually walk the fire base virtually and take a look at where it commands position and terrain before you get out there? Uh, for commanders in the field, it'll be an invaluable tool. Right. And you think about time to training as well. So um, anytime you can recapitalize on resources and use them in a different way, it's going to be beneficial. So a lot of times for training right now, if you need to send someone TDY to go to a training event, there may be an opportunity to do that virtually um, and save those time and resources. But even within the same garrison or installation, you're usually transporting people from their operational mission, their unit, to a training facility. So if you can bring the training to them where they can accomplish it and get right back to their operational requirements, you're giving that commander back time that they can use. Right. That's Yeah, it all goes to overall readiness, right, and saving money. Absolutely. To fo- you know, and resources to put in other places, like whether they need to buy more stuff. Well, and as you know, Roger, readiness is the priority for the department right, for right this, now. Yes, yes, absolutely. And if you look at what are the three main components of readiness, it's equipment, people, and training. Yeah. And so any opportunity to advance the effectiveness of training or drive down the cost of that effective training, right. uh, I think Make is a win. more efficient, you know, what was the, you know, the idea, do more with less, right? Do more with less, yeah. Right, kind of that kind of idea. That's what, that's what this is all about, right? And that's what technology you know, mm-hmm. ultimately let you do. So guys, we have to take our, our next break. Uh, my guests today are from Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, an integrated team of subject matter experts focusing on immersive training. Mike Wickham, Amy Valdez, and Frank Wickham. Wickham and Wickham. I have yeah. no problem with <laughs> these guys. Too Frank, many W's. Right? Yeah, so. yeah. Amy Valdez, that's the easy one right there. So <laughs> you got it. I, I appreciate that. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the department's overall strategy and how it's incorporating immersive training along with all the other types of training it does. You are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We live in a world where change happens in an instant. At Booz Allen, we thrive on change. It inspires us to build solutions that redefine what's possible. Our clients trust us to solve their most difficult problems. We bring together people who crave the big challenges and are passionate about solving them. Are you one of those problem solvers? Together, we can find the answers that change the world. Take your next step at boozallen.com forward slash careers. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, my guests are from Booz Allen Hamilton. We have an integrated team of subject matter experts focusing on immersive training and training uh, requirements and strategies across the Department of Defense. Amy Valdez is a principal with Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, Daryl Wise is the creative director of Booz Allen Hamilton's Triangle Game Development Team. Kevin McClung is a former director of Army's National Simulation Center and a principal, also a principal with Booz Allen Hamilton. And guys, welcome back to the show. Um, and I, uh, I, I wanted to talk this segment. We've talked a lot about immersive technologies, what they are, 
you know, and I've learned a lot about uh, training in general. But, you know, Amy, what's the approach when the department's figuring out how to Mm -hmm. deliver training, you know, what it should look like, what's the most effective, what are the factors that, you know, you advise your clients to take in consideration looking at that? Sure. So, you know, we get very excited about immersive technologies and the potential that that holds for training. But I think it's important to remember that that's just one part of the training continuum. Um, I think Kevin talked about earlier, you know, how the department trains in different modalities. And I think every time you look at an opportunity to train, you have to step back and think about, you know, what are those training objectives? What does the learner need to get out of that at the end of the day? And which of those types of training across that spectrum is going to be most effective. And in some cases, it'll be immersive. In some cases, it'll be other things. So I think we can't get too enamored with the concept of immersive and think everything needs to be immersive. But for those immersive environments, the things that we talk about when we think about what types of situations are most beneficial in that environment, we think about potential constraints to training. So if you've got a limited access to instructors or to equipment, or to a location. So, for example, if you need to train with an aircraft, or a tank, or an engine, and those are in limited supply for whatever reason, that may be conducive to an immersive environment. The same thing with the location. If you have a need to train maybe at a nuclear site, or in some hazardous location, again, you can recreate that virtually. So those types of constraints we feel are very beneficial and are able to be overcome with the immersive technologies we see today. Kevin, are there other uh, characteristics with regard to training requirements that people have to think about and analyze? Yeah, absolutely, Roger. I think, you know, in all training that we do across the department, we look at, you know, the assets that are available, the training audience, where are we focused on? Who is it that we're really trying to get the training value? Where are they? Where, you know, the mobility of the systems, the importance of the interaction of different players. So all those come into play when the department is trying to figure out which way to go. What the current state of immersive is doing is giving us an opportunity to do things that we couldn't do before. You know, before we were kind of tied to a home station installation, to a set number of facilities, and now we have this capability to deploy it forward and, you know, actually go forward into a a forward operating base in, you know, another country. So I think, you know, across the board, we try to match a capability with a requirement. Right. So, I, I, you know, and I guess I have a thinking about, you know, the description of the factors. One thing I did want to ask about, and this is just when I'm trying to visualize how this is delivered. So in a immersive training or virtual reality kind of thing where you, you know, Amy, I think you mentioned you the wearing the goggles and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you have multiple people doing that at one time, are they – do they actually end up working together as part of I mean, do they see each other? Do Absolutely. They, okay. So um, we do have a multiplayer capability. So this goes back to the training cost. If you've got individuals that are di- in different geographic locations but need wow. to train in the same environment, so again, whether that's some sort of crew training or they're within an aircraft and they have to re- go through an emergency procedure, you can put those individuals in the same virtual environment and they see representations of the other people in that same environment. So when you're in there, and that example with emergency procedures, I can ask someone else you know, to go and check on one piece of the equipment, and we can all see and react to the same environment that we're in. Right, and just to pick up on what Kevin talked about, the, you know, the, re- the requirement, what are some of the you know, critical factors that you 
think about when you like when you are trying to design mm-hmm. you know an immersive training solution right. what, what are you thinking about that well I go back to that user right what are yeah. those training objectives for that individual and what are they trying to get out of that what skills do they need to be able to walk away with and what's different in the immersive environment is taking that training content and reimagining how you're going to portray that immersively and a lot of that is in the user interface because it's got to be intuitive enough that the user can do some self-directed training without being overly prompted in the environment. So that's a very critical aspect that we think about when um, we're developing these training environments. And the other piece is the skill sets that you need to be able to develop that. So we do pull a lot of commercial gaming um, skills and capabilities. So individuals like producers and game designers and artists and engineers to be able to recreate the environments that you do see in commercial gaming, but apply it to um, the Department of Defense challenges. Right. So, Daryl, when, when I hear it's described and how you, how you go about identifying the requirements, so you, you're not just, you can't just be subject matter experts on immersive technology, right? You have to be subject matter experts on the subject matter that's actually being trained. Right. Absolutely. You're going to actually work with the individuals that are going to apply this technology um, uh, out in the field. You know, when you start looking at the objectives, what are you trying to train? You got to actually bring in your target audience to actually advise you on the metrics, to advise you on how it's actually being done uh, out in the field, because uh, they're really going to give you the the baseline. Uh, they're going to be the barometer for success. Because at the end of the day, if they are able to replicate the real world experiences, you know, in this immersive environment, then you've pretty much done your job. Uh, and that's a critical factor is integrating them. Yeah, I just, as an example, sure. you know, the a metric for success is when you bring a crew, say a, a sergeant and his crew into an immersive environment who's been deployed. And after the event says to you, gosh, I wish I had had this before I deployed. This would have set yeah. me up for success. Uh, it's exactly what I needed. I would have been better. We would have been more effective. It would save soldiers' lives. Right. And we see a lot of that feedback as we work with different right. kinds of units. So that's it's, it's the technology, understanding the technologies and how they can be applied and then being able to translate the actual requirements into the technology, right? Daryl, do you have some examples that you guys have worked on? Sure, I mean, we've had various examples. We've done everything from convoy operations so we can sit there and identify IEDs and the indicators in the environment. What does an IED look like in an environment, especially when it has a lot of debris or a lot of congestion that you might find in Baghdad? What does it look like in mountainous terrain in Afghanistan? We've done everything from, you know, counter UAS uh, applications. So when you have aviation assets, enemy uh, rotary wing, you know, quadcopters, things like that, how can you identify them? Do you know uh, friendly from foe? Do you know how to operate the equipment in order to employ against that threat, which is a, a critical factor that we have, uh, we're able to address with immersive technologies because a lot of times we don't have access to the equipment because they're downrange. So in an immersive environment, we can recreate uh, that capability. You know, jump master training, uh, we do at 18th Airborne Corps is another uh, great example because we can identify reference points from within side the aircraft as it flies over the topography. And that's a huge cost savings. And it's also a big, you know, a safety factor because getting access to an actual plane flying is cost prohibitive. Sure, a lot yeah. of the times they're actually forward deployed. So there's numerous applications. Uh, procedural training within the cockpit of a C-130 is something that the San Antonio team does as well. So a lot of times you can get repetitions on how to do startup procedures of that equipment and uh, address faults without having access to the physical uh, yeah. application. Right. So it's but, powerful. Hey, Amy, I, just to follow up on that, it, I mean, the more I hear you guys describe it, the more complex it 
strikes me that all this is because Daryl, what you just described, and then we got about a minute left, so I, I, and I don't want to waste it all me talking, but like everybody has different functions on the team, right? Just That's like right. a football team, they have different roles and different things they're responsible for. So this, you know, immersive training, this technology has got to be able to talk about the overall mission, but also articulate and communicate and train people on their specific functions as part of the team, right? That's It's just fascinating to me how complicated it is. Absolutely, and it really is a pairing of those subject matter experts on the content and the user base with the development team. And that's something that we really try to focus in on because each of those individuals are experts in what they do, but it's the power of bringing them together that creates these realistic environments um, that enhance the training. Right. And guys, we're already up on the break. I mean, I could talk about this for the next, you know, 25, 30 minutes or even a couple more shows. I don't know. But um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about where the technology is headed. I think, Kevin, you've mentioned that, you know, this, this, we're just scratching the surface here in terms of the capability of technologies. Um, my guests today are an integrated team of Booz Allen Hamilton subject matter experts, and we're focusing on immersive training and training strategies for the Department of Defense. You are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Every day at Booz Allen, we find the answers that change the world. Our developers create user-centered mobile and cloud solutions for real people and real businesses. Our security experts protect our country from the cyber threats of today and tomorrow. Our data scientists use big data to ask the biggest questions and solve the impossible. What do you want to solve? Together, we can find the answers that change the world. Join us today at boozallen.com forward slash careers. Problem solved. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, my guests are from Booz Allen Hamilton. We have a, a group of subject matter experts focusing on immersive technologies and their use in DOD's uh, uh, training efforts across the department for in support of the warfighter. Amy Valdez is a principal with Booz Allen Hamilton. Daryl Wise is the creative director for Booz Allen Hamilton's Triangle Game Development uh, team. And Mike Wickan is the creative director for Booz Allen Hamilton Strategic Innovation Group. And we've talked a lot about immersive technologies and innovation, really, when you stop and think about where things are going. But one of the things is we're going to, this segment, we're going to talk about where the technology is going. And I think that's going to be, you know, mind bending, at least for me. Um, but yeah, first, yeah, Mike, just the, the idea of, um, I guess, virtual reality or an augmented reality and immersive technologies? What's the difference? Because we've talked mostly, sure. I guess, today, as I understand it, as a layperson, about virtual. Yes. Right? Okay. So when you talk about immersive, really, you're talking about two large uh, halves of, of this tool set. Virtual reality is when I replace the reality that you perceive with a completely artificial reality. So instead of s sitting here in the, in the radio booth, we could be sitting on the top of the Himalayas or we could be at the bottom of the ocean or wherever. Whereas augmented reality or AR is you see the world around you and you overlay information about that world or about things that you need to know about within it. It might be a weather report. It might be how to change the oil on your car, all those sorts of things. So augmented reality is kind of a lagging technology. Uh, we're still waiting for the first real killer hardware to work with that. Virtual reality is a more mature technology. So as we look forward, so I'm just yeah, I'm curious on before and is why is that? Why is virtual ahead? Well, of augmented is a more difficult problem is to that, solve, okay. right? Because you've got to be able to deal with advanced, you know, heavy light conditions when you're outside. You okay, need to be able yeah. to display it in Makes front of sense. the eyes. 
and it deals with things like focal length and so if you're putting if you're projecting something onto a plate in front of you and you still have to focus at a distance that's a very difficult problem to solve so uh, but we're about to see a, a revolution in that so over the next year or two uh, those problems will be solved okay and you'll see an explosion of those sorts of applications in the commercial market and then into the uh, DoD space now virtual reality side uh, it's actually an easier metric to take a look ahead you're going to see lighter headsets. You're going to see less power requirements. You're going to see uh, a greater use of untethered headsets. And what I mean by untethered is rather than having a physical connection to a computer, the computational work will actually be done on the headset or it'll be linked uh, by Bluetooth or whatever to the computer doing the hard work. So you could roam around in hundreds of square meters with your fellow soldiers in a realistic battlefield environment with things like haptic systems allow you to feel the environment with your hands. You could reach out and touch a wall and feel the actual wall on your hands. If you're holding a rifle or if you're turning a wrench, you could actually feel that in your hands and feel the resistance of it. All those things are about to hit. And so we're actually talking with companies and, and working to get those sorts of systems into the training that we're providing to the DOD. So it's gonna to get to the point where it's gonna be part of our everyday life. You'll have a set of glasses, it'll be able to do all these things. It'll be dynamically able to be hooked up to computer systems and you can overlay whatever sorts of training. And the, the other half of that is actually making the training. So you've got a bunch of commercial video game engines that are now widely available and taught at a college level across the United States. So these kids come out of college and they already know how to use these tools. And it's a very simple process for them to take that knowledge and then transfer it into these advanced next generation experiential technologies. So a couple of things, like first, Mike, when you describe feeling, are you wearing a, I mean, do you have sensors all over? I mean, how, do, how well, is like, that gonna uh, work? For instance, uh, you might have a glove, right? That, okay. that not only feels uh, pressure, so when you reach out, you can actually feel a wall in front of you. Or if you push on a panel that pops open, you can feel the resistance on your fingertips or you can feel heat or cold. And one of the things that we talk about is if we're teaching medical training, for example, the ability for you to feel viscous surfaces or feel heat and teach and train against those things, or firefighters, for example, even, if you can go up and touch a door during training and feel that it's hot, you know, now you know the fire's behind the door. Those things are all about to start making their way um, broadly accessible within this technology. So those are things we're working right. towards. And, yeah. and I, the other thing I'll just, well, just an observation. So, you know, this, this past year I've been taking my uh, oldest son around to look at colleges and all that kind of fun stuff. Like, <laughs> and it, all these schools, at least the technical schools have majors in gaming or absolutely. You know, like, and so, and now, and I'm thinking I'm an old guy. Like, really? Okay. And now I'm getting a better sense, like, what Certainly. the impact it's, of it it's is. It's huge. And we, uh, a bunch of us, actually, we go and we lecture at these universities, mm -hmm. and we talk to the students. We understand the things that they're learning and concerning. And, and oftentimes, you'll you will have faculty talking to us about the things that we see in our market space and how they can better prepare their students to actually meet those needs coming forward. That's kind of a watershed event within this sort of training space. And Amy, just like the data that comes out of this or, sure. or either goes into it and comes out of it, just. Yeah, we're uh, very excited about the potential of that. Um, you know, not only in getting that performance data when an individual's in that training environment to be able to see where they're hesitating, where they're taking more time or maybe having to repeat a process. I think there's great value to come from that. But also as we move forward and integrate other technologies, things like data science, 
or artificial intelligence and machine learning, when you start to pull these algorithms into the immersive training environment, now you have the ability to tailor in real time that training to the individual. So it becomes much more customized. If someone's gazing at an area too long, if they're hesitating, you know, those algorithms can kick in and adjust the training to that learner. So I'm just thinking about how big the Department of Defense is, Daryl, and where this could be. I, I could, you know, I, you know, like DHA and Defense Health Agency and, you know, the medical services and their support. Yeah, is there, is there a huge opportunity there and just in terms of supporting training there, you know, how, you know, that low-fielded medical, you know, support that, you know. Absolutely. Like what Mike addressed uh, earlier, if you're looking at virtual reality to sit there and teach, you know, surgical skills, you know, how do you sit there and address a, a sucking chest wound for a combat medic? Um, how do you do an emergency tracheotomy in the field? These are things that we can address in virtual reality and some of the newer technologies such as haptic feedback uh, to get that sense of, you know, feeling and even sense of smell because we're even replicating, you know, smell with, you know, sophisticated machines built by like the Glade Company uh, because, you know, it's such a intense and intimate experience when you're actually doing any kind of medical procedure, especially in a battlefield environment. Uh, augmented reality has also given us the uh, ability to augment live experiences and live training. So now I can actually work on a live patient as an EMT or as a combat medic and have overlaid data as far as you know vital organs, uh, maybe procedures that I need to check off as I'm addressing uh, you know combat casualty care. So, and this runs the gamut of not only military training, but all training. And then on top of that, everyday life, and you're going to see the rise of augmented reality, and it's going to be as ubiquitous as the cell phone today. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, upon us. Yeah, and PTSD treatment, and also getting soldiers used to the reality of the battlefield. So if they can go out there and they can actually experience it with all their senses, the notion that the, the shock that occurs when you first encounter the enemy and you get in these firefight situations, they'll be better equipped to understand what's going on in the environment, and hopefully we can lessen some of those things that happen. Amy, we got about a minute left. Any final? Sure. I mean, it's just I, I think, like um, said, I know this would be mind blowing for me, and it's like, wow, okay. I think you know we've talked a lot about training, um, but certainly those other applications from operations and planning as well. So think about things like just a base infrastructure and allowing someone to do planning around that. You know, how does my perimeter look like? Where am I getting the most use out of these different facilities? Again, recreating that virtually gives um, commanders a whole different realm of information that they're able to use to plan before they make decisions. So I think that's what this is all about. It's about giving the commanders back time, enabling their decisions, and helping at the end of the day to increase the mission readiness of the force. Right. Fascinating stuff. Uh, I want to thank you guys from Booz Allen and the integrated team here of subject matter experts, Frank Wakeham, Amy Valdez, Kevin McLung, Mike Wickan, and Daryl Wise for joining me today uh, for this discussion of immersive technologies. Maybe we'll come back and do a uh, yeah, virtual show, okay? <laughs> Sometime about a year from now, all right? <laughs> Whatever. Um, you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Fed News Radio, 1500 AM. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Off the Shelf, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.
To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.